Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. the 252nd episode of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Saxon Druce of Binary Space Games about their point-and-kick adventure game, Gore Britannia, Land of Hope and Gory. Well, fitting with this Halloween week kind of thing. Spooky, undead, roaming the streets of London after Brexit, which is probably not going to happen anyway. What else is under Kane Vince's umbrella? It is on Mondays. We have Kane Vince itself. Of course, this week we have Batman Arkham Origins. Exciting. People punching people in the face dressed as a bat. Excellent. Wednesday, Sound of Play. Last Wednesday, or the episode that matched the week of this episode of The Sausage Factory. It's all very confusing. Um, was a special Halloween edition, which comes out every year. And it just happens to land on Halloween this year. Really, really funny. Very well put together. Expertly put together, in fact. If you haven't listened to it, do so. It's brilliant. Thursdays, we have Playwright. Two people called Ryan. Talking about games that they've invented based on the ideas sent to them. It's excellent. Of course, on Fridays, it's the Sausage Factory. But you knew that, right? Of course you did. Now, if you want to find out more about all those podcasts and archives of all of them as well, you can if you can go to canerince.com. Yes, all the archives of all the episodes of all the shows are found there. Not only that, but also features, reviews, editorials, and a lively forum is at canerince.com. So pop along there and enjoy yourself. We also do Twitch streams. We do. We have uh, MK Homebase on Fridays at 8pm. He streams a variety of games. Typically SNES at the moment, or SNES. I don't know which to pronounce that way. And on Sundays, it's me streaming random games for random reasons. Um, Last week, I did Lonely Mountains Downhill. Fantastic game. It's basically a mountain bike game that you just sort of fly down mountains in a bike it's great it's really really good so yeah follow us on twitch just look uh go to twitch.tv and then just type in cane and rinse in the search panel and you'll you'll find it it's awesome now if you want to chuck us some coin you can if you give us one dollar a month by patreon you get access to additional content early content early release of content and all sorts. So you get an extended edition of Cana Rinse. And you also get um, access to the platform specials. The latest of which is the Dreamcast. And we'll cover focus to the Dreamcast. But again, only available to Patreon. So, or Patreon subscribers, I should say. 
It's just one US dollar a month. That's all we ask. And you can access to stuff. It's great. But enough about that. So we move on to the past me, where Chris of the past talks to Saxon about a point-and-click adventure, which is rather good. Chris, if you'd be so kind. Saxon, who are you? Hey, what do how's you it going? Do? I'm good. <laughs> who are you and what do you do? Uh, yeah, I'm Saxon Drews. Um, yeah, I guess I'm a, a game developer or programmer is probably more general my description. Um, I started working on games back in 97 and been doing game development sort of on and off for the last 20-odd years. So uh, did you want me to go into detail of, of background history or... Well, funny you should say that. Funny you should say that, Saxon. Um, that is the next question. How did yep. you make mm-hmm. you start making uh, making video games? Yeah, in 1997. So I was at university uh, studying computer engineering, mm-hmm. and um, a couple of friends who I knew from the uni course, they had been working on a game at a company called Ratbag. Um, it was based in Adelaide in Australia, and uh, they were they'd just gotten a deal with a publisher, so they were looking to hire more people and recommended me. So I went in for an interview, and before that, I'd been doing um, I'd just been getting into programming and graphics programming and producing demos, which were just like sort of graphical views of you just sort of you know, put a bit like games, but no interactivity. So it was more like an interactive movie, well not interactive, but um, real time rendered movie with music and sound and all that kind of thing. Um, so I've been doing that for a year or so, and that's why that friend of mine uh, recommended me. So I went in for an interview, and they said, yep, that sounds cool. Uh, we'd like to hire you, but I had a year left to go on my degree, and they said, oh, you know, we need you to work full-time, so can you defer your degree for a while? And I thought, yeah, this sounds fun. So I went to work for them. So I started end of 97 and uh, worked on the game uh, Power Slide, which was a uh, racing game for PC, and this was back just when 3D graphics hardware was just starting to come out. So the, the 3D effects cards and Glide and Direct, Direct 3D was coming out and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, we worked on that game that year. Um, went into another couple of racing games after that, and then a few years later I, I left um, left that company and started a games company of my own about 2000 and was talking to publishers about making another racing game but that ended up sort of fizzling out after a while so I moved into industry um, so I started doing just regular programming so in defense for a while then oil and gas stuff and then mining software um, and then so I was doing that for a while and then about 10 years ago uh, one of the artists who I'd worked with um, at Ratbag back uh, 10 years earlier um, we started chatting again online over just uh, catching up via a, a LinkedIn um, connection, actually, initially, and then chatting on MSN Messenger back in the day. And we thought we'd start making a game together just in our spare time for fun. So we both had our day jobs, but we were doing this for fun. And so he pitched to me the idea of a zombie game. And we started to produce this game um, with a sort of top-down, uh, city-wide simulation of, of a zombie outbreak occurring on Google Maps. And then you play a game around that where you have a, a group of police officers that you've got to try to guide through the outbreak and and uh, save some scientists and things like that. And so that became initially, so that became the game Class 3 Outbreak, which we released in 2010. But 2009, we, as a teaser for that game, we released a game called Zombie Outbreak Simulator, which was just the simulation of the zombies running around and civilians shooting back at them and stuff like that, which is how we sort of started developing that game. And we felt it was just kind of fun to watch the simulation play out. So we made this zombie simulator game where you could just choose the parameters, like how many civilians are there, how many zombies are they, did they come from the south or the north, how fast are the zombies, all that kind of stuff, and just, just watch it play out. And that went went viral when we released it at the end of 2009. And um, we got heaps of hits and stuff on that game. And so, yeah, that was sort of how, we, how Binary Space started uh, with me and another friend, Jay. So... Um, in 2011, we decided to port Zombie Simulator to iPhone, and then 2014 to Android, and yeah, across the mobile platforms, had about uh, two million downloads. Um, and yeah, and then Jay and I actually decided to part ways on Binary Space after a while, so it ended up just being me uh, running the business. And then about two years ago, I thought um, I'll start working on a new game, and started looking for a team to help me because I'm just a programmer and have no artistic talent or game design skills or anything like that. So started uh, looking for a team 
and uh, to make something new and ended up putting together a team of a bunch of other people, mostly here in Perth, but also our writer, Jonathan, who's in the UK. And after sort of hashing out ideas for a while, we, we settled on Ghoul Britannia as the next game to make. That's quite a potted history, sir. Mm, Thank you yep. for sharing that. Um, and it's interesting that you, you started way back in 97, which mm-hmm. was an interesting period um, mm. in video game land because uh, that's just at the cusp of, I mean, 97, 98, they were auspicious years for video mm-hmm. games. You had, you know, um, Half-Life appearing, Baldur's Gate mm-hmm. appearing. So the yep. PC was really... That was when Unreal just first came out as well. Around Indeed, that time. yeah. Yeah. Uh, extraordinary times. Oh, yes, of course, mm-hmm. Unreal, and they had uh, Quake 3 as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah. And for you to go down a path and, you know, contribute to the industry and then decide, eh, not for me then. I'll just, uh, I'll go back into, into uh, well, go into industry, as you say, and mm-hmm. spend some time, you know, a good, you know, Maybe eight, nine years sounds like, and then realise that, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I remember I used to make video games, and then mm-hmm. 2009 again, a really, really important part of period uh, in the mm-hmm. industry where, well, how can I put this? It's that's when the indie game really came to the fore. Yeah, it did, yeah. It was around that time. So we were kind of inspired at the time by things like uh, like Flash games. So our initial games we made were Flash-based uh, web web games, and that was a big thing at the time. I remember um, Desktop Tower Defense was one particular game that just went viral and had you know, millions of players and a bunch of other sort of games like that uh, on, on the web platform. And then mobile, obviously, was just coming, coming out. So iPhone had been released just a couple of years before and was starting to take over too. Yes, I remember there was a period when... Uh People couldn't make games on the iPhone. I'm that old. Mm, I remember yeah, that time no. when they, they did, oh no, we're not supporting games on this thing. Oh no, why would anyone play games on this thing? Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, look at it's done now. So as you can kind of full circle with Apple Arcade because uh, they sort of realised that it was, disapp- it was it was a race to the bottom, and they went, oh no, we can't can't have this, can we anymore? Mm-hmm. Uh, people mm. aren't really paying attention to this platform anymore, and they're not. And then they went, actually, look, here's this. Oh yeah, some crazy sort of platform they created out of a thing that was on basically on its back, and mm-hmm. saying you know let's uh, let's just reinvent this and uh, yeah. wow, <laughs> basically mm-hmm. whoever's curating that needs a you know needs a pay rise because they really know mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, it was interesting releasing on iPhone 2011 and then Android 2014. How much the mobile uh, platform landscape sort of changed in those few years as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a strange place. So, mm-hmm. but here you are, uh, on uh, currently on Steam and on other platforms. But uh, um, and uh, yeah, so as with that history and knowing this, knowing what you've been through, uh, going sort of full circle back into the industry. Um, that aside, obviously you have affinity towards a certain genre. Uh, I mean, you started at racing games, and then you you, you really know your stuff about uh, well, the concept of um, the the undead and mm-hmm. what what they really do. What they you know, yep. if they were to exist, what would happen to society? Mm-hmm. So, and it's something you obviously studied and gleaned a lot from yep. uh, your your time uh, with with that kind of, that genre. So, as a creative entity that is binary space, what do you believe? are your biggest influences yeah it's interesting because uh yeah talking about zombies as a theme so when um when jay and i first started chatting back in 2009 i thought oh yeah let's make a, a game together just for fun in our spare time so he was the mad keen zombie fan he was into everything zombie you know read every book watched every movie uh every tv show you know every, any kind of zombie thing that was out there he could um he'd done or been involved in um, so he was the one who pitched the idea to me of let's make a zombie game. And it was a, it was an idea for a zombie game that he'd had for ages of the sort of large scale, um, simulation of a zombie outbreak occurring. And then in the midst of all that, you're trying, you know, you're, you've got a group of people you're trying to sort of guide through the outbreak. So you might have say a group of, um, you know, mercenaries or police or whatever they are, and you've got to get down some street, but there's a bunch of zombies blocking it off. And so, um, you got to head through the building and get out the other side and all that kind of thing. And so it was the idea of the sort of large-scale simulation of 
of a zombie outbreak occurring that you're you're playing as part of. So he was the one who pitched the idea to me, and I thought, and I thought, yeah, that sounds cool. So my my background is programming. Um, his is in so he was an artist on on uh, Power Slide and the racing games uh, like Dirt Track Racing that we worked on later, and but he also moved into game design later on. And um, but his his business that he was also running at the time when we caught up again ten odd years ago, he was doing um, texture packs for game developers as well. So yeah, his background is in artwork and game design, and mine in programming. So it was a, it was a good uh, complementary skill set for the two of us to get together. But he was the mad keen zombie guy, um, and so it was really yeah that initial idea. And when he was was talking to me about you know this is sort of we were we were thinking about you know what yeah sure let's make a game but what will it be will it be web or mobile or pc um you know what sort of scale will it be with 2d top down 3d all that kind of stuff and um one time he he did this mock-up of uh, he just took like a screenshot of google maps and then drew some you know colored dots on it and said oh you know this is how you know some people would come down the street and there'd be some zombies there and all that kind of thing maybe a barricade and and then after he did that mock-up he just said to me kind of as half joke um Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could actually make the game on Google Maps itself? And um, I'd in my I was doing mining software at the time, and I'd done a bit of work with Google Maps before, like putting mining data onto a map. And I thought, oh, maybe we can actually do something. So I started playing around with what was around and found um, Google had just released a Flash uh, version of their Google Maps stuff, and tested it out, and it worked really well for what we wanted to do. So kind of sort of fell into the Google Maps, which I think turned out to be quite a good hook for the game. Like it just it drew, drew people's attention to see something, you know, a large-scale type of game played out on Google's Maps. Um, but, yeah, as, as far as – so that was the sort of initial zombie influence. So that continued through uh, up until, yeah, the, the sort of iPhone and Android release was more sort of iteration on that same, same theme. And then, uh, yeah, about 2007 I started to think – uh, it was just me running binary space by then, so I think you know it'd be it'd be cool to make a new game. Um, Zombie Simulator, I thought had had sort of done what it could creatively, um, and but as just a programmer, I, I needed to find some other people to work with me. But I also figured stick with the theme of zombies because that's sort of binary spaces thing. But I wanted to do something with a bit more narrative to it, a bit more story. Uh, whereas Zombie Simulator is more of a, a kind of a toy in a sense. You just sort of fiddle with parameters and see what comes out and you can drop some bombs on things. So I wanted something a bit deeper. And um, I was kind of inspired a bit by the 90s adventure games that I used to play, some point-and-click adventures like uh, Space Quest Four and um, Monkey Island and things like that that I really enjoyed when I was a kid. So I was sort of heading a bit down that direction but not really wedded to any particular idea but started to looking for a, a team of people who could who could work on the game with me. And I uh, found a, a good uh, concept artist here in Perth, and so got him to drop some sort of mock-ups, and then used that to put up a, you know, we're making some new zombie-based game with some story to it, looking for a writer and game designer, and that's when we found Jonathan. So he has a background in that kind of, um, I guess, um, undead um, fantasy-type writing. So that's how we we got into that as a genre. Nice. So. It sounds like to me your the, the, the whole the, the zombie concept and that is that you've drawn certainly when I'm playing through Gaul Britannia is um, the idea of the, the breakdown of society mm-hmm. the sense of losing one's humanity in the face of yep. this this horrific uh, um, well unnatural uh, event that's mm-hmm. like well once you're dead you're dead you don't reanimate it's Necrotic sort of that's not how things work, you know. You, no, yep. you mm-hmm. yeah, it can't possibly, it doesn't work. You, all the physics, <laughs> actual biolo- mm-hmm. biology, and the physics will not, you know, it can't happen, it's just not, not possible. And yet, here mm-hmm. they are rising from the dead, and it's just like, well, okay, that's that's off. Uh, everything, mm-hmm. our whole culture is actually. Uh, yeah, sort of sort of breakdown of what you expect of physics and biology, but also of uh, of society as well. Indeed, because everyone's anchored and built around a life and eventual death, because that's mm-hmm. one of the things that is certain that taxes and change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the only things that are certain. And uh, so once that start, once you take away one of those things, it all starts to collapse. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, that's what I believe. Uh, is your 
if I, if I may say, is one of the reasons you're drawn to this concept because it is, it yeah. is quite fascinating. Would I right be yeah, saying it's actually, that? In, yeah, interesting. No, why, uh, the actual reason why I thought stick with zombies but do something with a bit of story and narrative to it was that so when we created our game, uh, the Zombie Simulator game, we also set up a forum so people could chat about the game and what we were planning to develop for Class 3 Outbreak, which was the, the other game we were working on on the same uh, Google Maps sort of platform. And, um, you know, there was sections where we had uh, people talking about the game, but we had a sort of just free section of people could just talk about whatever they liked. And um, it was interesting that it was a small group of people on that forum who got involved in a role-playing session where each person took on a particular character and they just, each post would be, you know, what that character did in the situation. And these these threads would run for months and months of these people um, doing role-playing around uh, a zombie outbreak. And I think I think what sort of draws people to it is how would they personally react you know, if society fell down and if there was this threat that you had to had to uh, work around. And um, that was what made me think, yeah, let, I think what people, what draws people to the zombie is, you know, in the zombie situation is that you've got suddenly a complete change of society and then it's, you know, how do you manage that change? What do you do with yourself to survive as well as also um, continue uh, building humanity, I suppose, or surviving as humanity? Very good question and... This is kind of answered by Gul Britannia. Mm-hmm. But it's more of a... Yeah, we'll come to that in the second half. Because mm. yeah. it, it also uh, addresses other aspects of the human condition uh, mm-hmm. in a very unique way. Um, yeah. In a very British way, I point mm-hmm. out. Uh, but uh, we know why, because it's by a British writer. But we'll, again, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that. So, um, next question then. Uh, thanks for doing the influencing because I think we, we've we've sort of nailed that. I think. Um, mm. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Sorry, what was that? What developer do you admire in the industry and why? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So, yeah, I mean, I I sort of think back to my sort of teenage years as the period where I sort of played probably the most games. And so especially those, you know, Monkey Island and um, the, the Sierra games, the Space Quest type games, they were ones I really enjoyed playing at the time and, and played, you know, all the way through to the end of the game and that kind of thing. So those are ones I really enjoyed. So um, Sierra Online then, basically. you were... Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, so that kind of thing was, was what I really got into back in the day. Um, it's ironic that once I... I uh, sort of got into making games and programming in university. I actually spent more time, like I enjoyed the programming, like making my own things rather than playing other people's things. Um, so, yeah, these days I, I program for fun and that's my hobby more so than actually playing the game. So one of the good things about partnering up with Jay was that he was the mad keen uh, zombie and game designer and all that kind of thing. So he, he played all the games and knew, knew what kind of things. And we would uh, sometimes clash over... Uh, our opinions on where what direction the game should go in, um, but it was good to have him there as the as as bringing that in. And, and again, now with Gul Britannia having a team of people, everybody has their own sort of um, perspective on, on what kind of things they like and how we should put things together. So it's been quite quite cool to draw on a team of, of other of other experience. Yeah, but is there any particular developer you sort of point to? We've already made reference to to share online but is anyone currently you think oh yeah you should carry on doing what you're doing and that kind of thing yeah not specifically um, okay yeah don't, don't tend to think of things in that um, that frame of mind yeah interesting okay cool and um, my last question uh, of the first half um, is um, something I sort of always like to ask developers because it gives you an inkling as to what sort of gets their juices flowing outside of their own work, is uh, what are you playing right now, if anything? Uh, I'm playing uh, with my kids. So the other day, my kids bought um, Link's Awakening on the Switch. Okay. And so, um, yeah, we've been playing that. So they play and I watch and then every now and then throw some tips at them or all that kind of thing. So I actually enjoy the... Um, yeah, the kind of fun things that playing, doing stuff together with my kids, I think, is what I what I enjoy in the terms of playing games these days. And how have you found Link's Awakening? Do, they, do you think yeah. they've done a good job of updating it to modern sensibilities and 
design? Yeah, I mean, I, I never played the original. I didn't have a Game Boy back in the day. But, yeah, right. it's, it's a fun game, and my kids are enjoying it. So that's, that's uh, you know, what I get out of it is, is yeah. the enjoyment for my kids. So, yeah, that's good. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo mm. really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. almost uncanny. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and it never ceases to amaze me that the value of property of their work is uh, doesn't diminish. Well, it does, but it takes a very long time to do so. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a special magic going on that uh, I can't quite fathom. But there yeah. it is. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, no, that's probably about it, I think. Okay, cool. Right then. That's it for the first half, as I mentioned. Cool. So let's uh, delve deep into Ghoul Britannia. Land of Hope and Gory. Mm-hmm. It's a great subtitle. So, before we do that, Saxon, um, we do need to find out what is Ghoul Britannia and mm-hmm. Gory. So, yep. I, I, I could have a go, but I think it's best if you probably do mm. the pitch and yeah, see, if, sure. see if there's anything, any gaps. Because I find in all the years I've been doing this show, as, as great as the elevator pitch is, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's got gaps in it. So I'll try and fill in. Yep. No offence to you, mm-hmm. yourself. But you probably yeah, find sure, out, nice. oh, yeah, there's, there's nuances there that I haven't really considered. So, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, off you go. What is yeah, cool. Britannia? Yeah, so, um, yeah, just as a, a background for this. So, I, uh, earlier this year, uh, we showed the game at PAX East and also last year at PAX Australia. And so, I got my sort of pitch down to um, a brief sentence that I could say and, and said hundreds of times to people. So, so anyway, this is what I, what I used to say. So, see what you think of it. Um, so, yeah, Gould Britannia is uh, set in the UK um, post-Brexit. So after Brexit, uh, the government has sent back home to Europe all of the immigrants they didn't want, uh, which means there's nobody left to do things like um, stock supermarket shelves, pick berries in fields, nursing, doctors, all sorts of things. And so the government comes up with a brilliant idea of raising the dead to do the jobs nobody wants to do. And it goes about as well as you'd expect. So they end up with a zombie apocalypse on their hands. And our game is set um, a few weeks after the outbreak. Our main character, Hope, was on holiday in the West Country, the UK. So she has to get back home to London to, uh, to check on her family, see if they're okay. And along the way, she meets up with Dave Gorey, who's a sentient zombie. And together, they sort of form an uneasy truce where they have to work together to uh, solve the challenges they face. Also try to figure out uh, if the outbreak and the apocalypse is an accident or if there's some kind of sinister plot behind it. Yeah, that that pretty much does the trick. Uh, we'll probably mm. find as we chat now that there's added nuance and detail mm-hmm. yep. uh, without mm-hmm. spoiling anything, yep. of course, because a game like this, I, I mean, personally, I do stream, um, mm. but uh, I would never stream a point and click. I know there's a popular genre out there in Twitch land, but uh, I think it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, yeah, it does a bit. I mean, it's nice for people. So, I mean, I've watched one after I've finished it, after I've completed the game itself. Then, mm-hmm. if I see a stream about a game, like, oh yeah, I finished that. Let's see how they get on with those puzzles uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and assets uh, aspects of it. But um, yeah, uh, I think it is. I think the aspects of it is also it's an isometric view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, it is a. Really, very pure um, 
point and click. There's no, I don't remember any dexterity puzzles. Um, no, any kind. Isn't. It's uh, the, the, some games do delve into that realm, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's, that's mm-hmm. but it's not. You, you've done a very sort of purist uh, way of, of dealing with it, of, of, mm-hmm. of presenting the story. And uh, I do find that there's aspects of the story that are um, are uh, deeply um, uh, sort of, uh, disturbing, uh, but mm-hmm. presented yeah. in a way. That is um, not too not not to the point where it becomes uh, traumatizing to, to mm-hmm. experience because you know yeah. undead that kind of thing it's it's difficult to, to cope with and you mm-hmm. deal with it delicately so in a very unique way one of the things that's driven by this game and most I know that you probably appreciate this now more than ever ever since worked on uh, Gold Britannia all these years is the character characters it's all about characters the best stories mm-hmm. are the ones that are anchored around the characters and not the plot yeah. uh, it's amazing how many writers don't understand this uh, and they're the ones that work where where the media no matter what it may be a film a book or what have you where they fall or fall flat because it's like mm-hmm. the people aren't fully rounded and they're not not true to themselves uh, and they, they they lack consistency and they uh, they do things that aren't uh, basically that aren't rational, and they almost mm-hmm. act in an inhuman way, assuming mm-hmm. they're human beings. So um, there's all relevance to what I'm getting at here, Saxon. Bear with me, because I'm building mm-hmm. up to a question, and the question is this: When you interact with characters, of which there are many, uh, most of whom are slightly broken, <laughs> including mm-hmm. yeah. Hope and Dave. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. they, they are slightly broken. Dave more so than Hope, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not for his physical ailment, because that's kind of yeah. it's more of, a, of what he's done anyway, yes. yeah. <laughs> or helped mm-hmm. happen. Um, yeah. um, but uh, is uh, portraits? I noticed that it's a subtle thing that you did, or maybe it isn't. I don't know. I'm going to ask you. Um, you use portraits whenever you're talking to a. Whenever Hope is talking to a character, uh, mm-hmm. a speech bubble arrives, and there's a little portrait of the person speaking. Now, yeah, yeah. Well, did you do this to assist players to connect with those they're talking with and interacting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. To get a because from the the isometric point of view, like you know the the uh, your character on screen that's walking around your little three D character is not that tall. So to get a better sort of feeling and closer connection to all the people you're talking to, yeah, we have the portraits in there so you can get, get a better impression of the person, basically. Um, yeah, so exactly that. So I've got it then. Yay, go me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I think, you know, was that always there? Uh, no, when we first started the game, we didn't have those in, but then we started to think, you know, would it be good? And we, we looked at a whole bunch of other... Um, uh, adventure games sort of on the market and uh, you know visual novel type things similar type of things in the space and some things had you know they'd zoom in really close on the action uh, during conversations and others um, yeah had portraits and some of them had you know just like a little portrait some of them had a almost full screen image of the person that kind of thing so we try to sort of look at what other people were doing and um, decided yeah let's stick some portraits in there to sort of help help that connection to the character okay excellent so next question. See, we're rattling on. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have to ask this, because we've had a few, I'm happy to say, point-and-click adventures on the show. Like I said, we've mm-hmm. been going for quite a few years, so yeah, bound cool. to. And, uh, but I've got to ask this. I want you to, because it's like the elephant in the room, the, the, mm-hmm. uh, an alive one, by the way, not an undead yeah. one. Just to be clear. Because yeah. we say that, everyone, sorry, that if one features in the game, it's not... But, not much of a spoiler it happens really early on so you, mm-hmm, yeah. you encounter that with with dave bless him um, yeah that's a good good fun scene that one it is I like that oh, one. It's, it's, it's that i remember it from when i when i, I think because we encountered each other at pax east you probably don't remember yeah we did yeah, yeah yeah i think you spoke mostly with jonathan then i think uh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and uh that was, that's a great show but anyway mm-hmm. and, and it's one of the reasons i brought you on the show because uh, i was really taken by this game, by by yeah. by uh, Gorbatania, 
because uh, it uh, has a personal interaction, personal thing, because I am terribly British. And, uh, yep. um, but we'll talk about that uh, a bit. But puzzles, my friend, mm-hmm. puzzles. Uh, Point and click adventures, which is what Gaul Britannia is, yep. uh, are built around, and you may disagree, but they are anchored, correction, anchored around uh, puzzles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, now, um, I'm not sure if you know this, um, but in you know the period that we're talking about, like the mid '90s, maybe mm-hmm. mid, mid sort of late '90s, something happened to the political adventure. In other words, they died. They, mm-hmm. they, they took a thorough beating and then evaporated, um, yep. mainly because they disappeared up their own uh, orifice, and for a better phrase, and uh, there was um, Gabriel Knight Three. I'm not sure if you know about this game, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, attributed, it's attributed to the main cause of what happened. It's a very simplistic and stupid thing to say, but ultimately it was like the, 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 the embodiment of what went wrong, being mm-hmm. that there was a particular puzzle that was ridiculously obscure, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. no human being could possibly solve it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it involved making a, dis- a disguise using cat hair. It's well known, look it up. Um, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? Not that know? particular puzzle, no, no. no. no, no. Yep. So, leaps and bounds of things. Wajidai, they did a fantastic job of saying, you know what, They're still, these are still cool, but let's just address. So what did what have you done, whether consciously or subconsciously, have you done in Gaul Britannia to prevent the puzzles becoming too much of an obstacle that undermines a positive experience to the mm-hmm. game. What have you done? Yeah, I think there is, um, yeah, like you say, I think the point-and-click adventure, the puzzles are critical, and I think it is a, a tough balance. You want to make them hard enough so that people feel a sense of challenge and feel a sense of accomplishment once they solve them. But you don't want them too hard that they're, you know, sort of flailing around and, and not knowing what to do and just randomly clicking on things. Um, but I think there is... Um, I remember, you know, the the puzzles of old, like the Space Quest type game, you would type in your commands and there were so many possible things and you weren't quite sure how to word things and all that kind of things and, and you would die all the time. Um, they were, there was, they did get a bit frustrating, whereas the Monkey Island approach where there were only a, a limited amount of things you could combine with other things in, in certain ways and so there was more opportunity of just, let's just try this random weird thing which makes no sense and see what happens. Um, so I think, in a way, we've got that kind of uh, similar situation. We've we've taken an approach where there aren't too many inventory items you could possibly pick up, but you do need to combine certain things in, in certain ways that might not be immediately obvious. And I think also by sort of exploring the scene and clicking on things, you can, in time, learn, oh, that's the thing I need to be clicking on before this other thing. So by continuing to explore, you can eventually get there. Um, but I think, yeah, we, we have... Uh, I guess being careful not to make it too easy, but also when we first showed the game at um, PAX Australia, I think it was, yeah, that one, uh, there was there was a particular puzzle that was that did seem to be too hard. We had to give pretty much everybody a hint, um, and so we made that one a little bit easier uh, after that. Yeah, player feedback is vital, which is one mm-hmm. of the reasons why Google Britannia is in early access. Because yes, exactly, not- yeah. Still can't get it quite right, no matter how many sort of uh, closed beaters you do. There's still going to be mm-hmm. that aspect of a puzzle. That's obvious, like, well, no, you're too close to the coalface and your way to deal with mm-hmm. it is actually sort of throw it out there and uh, see what other humans think of it. Mm, so, yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think one of the key things about puzzle games, I always, uh, I always uh, no matter how complex or simple they are, and the simpler ones are actually the most tricky, is that you are given a set of tools and you have a level of interaction with those tools mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, the, you can, you, within the game within which you can use those tools. If any puzzle, any, sorry, any solution you come up with breaks any of those, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Simple. You know, the mm-hmm. amount of times I see people go, oh, maybe I fucking jump over there. And like, you can't jump in this game. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. why are you yeah. entertaining the idea that you can jump 
when you mm-hmm. can't even jump in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, and I'm just, I'm just very sort of basic thing. But you know what I mean? It happens mm-hmm. time and time again. We human beings like to think that there are other things we can do beyond the tools that we are presented with. Like, no, yeah, yeah. I've given you everything you need to know. <laughs> These are the things that you can do. And if you're trying to do things outside of that, then it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. yeah I yep. think one th- for me, I'll never forget it. Um, when I first got the gravity gun on Half-Life 2, bear with me, uh, mm-hmm. there's a relevance to this. And um, there is a bridge that you had to go over. And it's in, and there's there's loads of brick and bracken and cars and all sorts of things lying around. Uh, but this bridge was like, you had to, I think it was a bridge or something. I seem to remember some obstacle. And uh, uh, it was uh, it was raised, this, this thing. And uh, mm-hmm. you couldn't get through unless you did a thing. And I spent ages desperately trying to build a bridge over this thing that's raised up. Ages. Just like, you know, put... <laughs> and it's like... And it wasn't working at all. It wasn't, you know, that everything was falling over the top of each other. It was just, it wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't using it appropriately. The physics wouldn't let me do this. Until I yeah. went into a little box, a little sort of office thing, and there was two batteries lying on the floor. Then I picked up the batteries <laughs> and slotted them into the power pack, and then the thing lowered. That was mm-hmm. what I was supposed to do. Not spend yeah. ages building, because that's not... Trying and, this other stuff that's not part of the game, can not it? Not part yeah. of the game, no. It's mm-hmm. not what you're supposed to be doing with this device, and it was a great, you know, I mean, credit to to Valve when they used to make games. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they still do, kind of, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, it's it's basically for me. I never forget that whenever I'm playing a puzzle game, whenever I'm playing, when I was playing Gold Britannia, even I always my thoughts will go back to like, Chris, what tools do you have available? And I think mm-hmm. one of the best examples of that, if I may is that there's two aspects of Gould Britannia, whether you like it or not, whether you constantly did this or not. It's both the environment and the tools and the things, you, the things, the things mm-hmm. that you find, yeah. yeah? Yeah. Along with people. Mm-hmm. Your people interaction and gleaning information and maybe possibly, if they're not idiots, some kind of... Uh, assistance mm-hmm. that you can get from them merging yeah. that with the tools that you have and the skills that the character has and meshing them together that that is what Gulpatan is about if mm. you fail yeah. to understand that you can't just do things you can't brute force your way you can't do the pixel hunting of aid of old that's gone mm-hmm. happy to yeah. say well done with that and you've done you know you, ha- you don't have that you have to. You, it's not just all the stuff in your inventory. It never mm-hmm. is. Yeah. It's also. Yeah, yeah. It's the, combining that with the environment or with the people. Yes. There's mm-hmm. a. I'm not going to go. There's a particular puzzle that requires you to basically have long. Com- not no. A strong, sort of lengthy conversation with mm-hmm. others and making sure that you appease one versus another before something will trigger and something will happen to allow you yep. to progress and that that every time every time there's nine times out of ten most puzzles are found and and it's not a criticism of the game at all in fact it's wonderful because it really enhances the idea that it's people damn it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that's what yeah. that's how you're going to get through this this mm-hmm. mess this horror yeah is mm. other people whether it be yeah. jerks or not you know mm-hmm. there's a lot yep. of little idiots <laughs> mm-hmm, yes, you know, yeah. and that's what you encounter in life you know it's like how on earth are you still alive <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> you know it's uh it's a thing i noticed and uh i hope you, i mean whether that was that a conscious thing for you guys or yeah i think so out of uh john like jonathan is, is obviously the writer and designer but he yeah thinks quite deeply about how all the pieces fit together and how the puzzles work and you'll get sometimes you know for each chapter uh, part of the way through it, and then go. Hang on, that doesn't quite work, and sort of rehash things to make it make it all fit together well. So, um, yeah, and, and as the as the story progresses as well, Hope and Dave have to learn to sort of get along and rely on each other more and work together. Um, it's not so much that just one person can necessarily solve a problem; they need to work as a team and and um, 
you know, it is kind of a, a road trip story to get back home, but also a story about um, friendship. You know, the two of them, you know, initially when they meet, their uh, hope at least is obviously very wary of a zombie. Um, but over time, they they come to respect each other. Yeah, they do. It's earned. As mm-hmm. well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So next question then, and one I've I hesitated to ask. Uh, it's not a critique against mm-hmm. the game, so please don't think that. But I noticed that um, there are, there is a tendency now because of the power of computers these days is far more. It's ridiculous compared to when you started. Certainly, mm, yeah, um, yeah. I, I love telling the uh, the story of uh, when when developers are making a game and they're testing away, and then about three or four hours in, they the machine starts to slow down for some reason. You go, oh, <laughs> oh, we have a have a memory leak apparently mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because you know the vast vast pool of memory that computers now have compared to back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but now you can do all sorts of you know, not quite limitless, but it's pretty close. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're not, you know, I mean, consider Square spending a decade remaking Final Fantasy VII, and even still, <laughs> they mm-hmm. they've only doing one episode <laughs> after all these years. Yeah. Um, but uh, and that's a testament to to their work. But the reason I'm building up to a point in the question is that. Rather, in, in uh, Gaul Britannia, Land of Hope and Gory, rather than having a flowing environment where you just walk around and, and an open world environment where you can sort of you know, just run around in and interact with people, you have set scenes. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. uh, uh, you know, you walk in, you, the character walks away and then goes into an, an exit, and that's all definite sort of obvious exit uh, typically mm-hmm. and another scene is drawn uh, instantaneously of course but that's and yeah. um and then within that scene the player can interact with things in it typically uh, in mm-hmm. any obvious ways and uh, why did you follow this model you could have you could have done what i just described you could have done all sorts of things but mm-hmm. you went with this one why? Yeah, so when, when when we started, we spent quite a bit of time thinking about how we put the game together. So we were thinking, you know, we already picked point-and-click adventure, but how would that work? And we, we sort of wondered, oh, do we do a little bit of um, almost RPG-ish, as in have a sort of open-world-type space uh, that you could just wander around and find people to chat to and all that kind of thing. But um, after a little bit of while of experimenting with that idea, it just felt a bit dull and boring. Um, there was a an earlier version of the game that we made, which we showed at a, a local Perth Games Festival back in end of 2017, and our environments were still the same kind of thing of, of separate environments, but they were quite a bit bigger, and it was just um, kind of boring having to walk back and forth between all these things. So after that, we kind of threw out 95% of what we'd done and, and started again, um, and still it was still the same gist of the story for that first episode or first chapter, but... Um, we redid all the artwork and, and our, our 2D artist, Chris, who's also a concept artist, yeah, he just sort of felt that it was much uh, it was much nicer to have a sort of small intimate environment where you can really focus on the details in the scene and have a, a really compelling picture to, to invo- uh, explore rather than this wide expanse of, a, of an area that the, um, the details are kind of, you have to walk between this detail and the next, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a stylistic choice, but also a thing of, of sort of limiting the scope of the game to keep everything close together. And it just sort of feels nice to have these really focused environments in a way sort of hanging in empty space. So you're not worried about, you know, the area you're supposed to focus on and Chris also has the time to make them look really beautiful versus wider areas where it would all just kind of look a bit more same, same and, and bland. And you wondering, oh, is that building important? Or is that just the background that I've got to walk past to get to the important thing? Yes, um, I always sort of. There's two ways you can go. If you if you make it sort of a flowing, vast sort of open area, mm-hmm. uh, if you do have points of interest in it, um, you go one of two ways. You either create the invisible wall syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, yep. like oh it's open world, except it isn't. Or yep. you just go full on 
GTA or or Breath of the Wild or other sandbox game. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know, uh, I always um, cite uh, Breath of the Wild has got some amazing things hanging around, actual mm. hanging things up in the air. Going, well, what's yeah. that? And you just go barreling down towards it because you can because that thing you see in the distance you can get to and you can interact with it. Uh, mm, yep. And uh, that's that's quite an, an important thing. Um, mm. But uh, yes, uh, I, I think the, the other word you the point you made—no pun intended—is that um, it focuses the player's attention. Mm-hmm. It, you, yeah. that you walk in and you've got a new, very, I could say, very beautiful environment. So that's the first thing you're rewarded with. Because I'm, I remember, I'm very old, so I remember the earliest adventure games I played. One of the things that drove me on more was the the graphical still images that were yeah, here yep. when you entered mm. a new new area. Finally, mm. after solving yep. some weird obscure puzzle, which no sane human could possibly come up with <laughs> uh, or solve. But um, uh, the games like, for example, uh, The Hobbit, uh, being one of the earliest ones on mm-hmm. on the old ZX Spectrum, uh, and then latterly, uh, it, it, so I remember completing that game and uh, the one thing that drove me on more than anything is seeing what other beautiful image relatively speaking back then yeah you're going to see next yeah yeah you mm-hmm. get to see next and uh, that's the other thing that drives me I'm very I'm a big explorer uh, mm-hmm. it's not I'm not not my sole sort of driver but it's one of the biggest things that has me and that's why I like mm-hmm. adventure games so much because you know you see you see worlds created by others and yeah, I yeah. find that fascinating mm-hmm. And, yeah. so, and of yeah. course, the other the other influence was you know we're a small indie team, so we can't afford to spend you know heaps and heaps on on artwork. Um, so it's sort of you got a fixed budget to spend. If you spend it on more area, then you got to sort of spread yourself more thinly. Yes, yeah, so it gets to a point where again alluded to it earlier, but the the canvas against which you can paint now on computers mm-hmm. is vast. Yes. So mm-hmm. one has to then force one's own limits based on the resources and the capabilities capabilities they have available to them, mm-hmm. without yes. undermining the experience. Yes, do you think mm-hmm. it's true? Yeah, yep, definitely. Yeah, I remember back, you know, '97 when we were starting. It was all about how many polygons can you get in and what sort of flashy graphical effects and all that kind of thing. And everybody was sort of pushing the boundaries of what computers could do. But at a point, it, re- it reached a point where. You know, well, pretty much graphics was solved as a problem, and there were still some games, you know, continuously pushing that edge. But it became more about, you know, what what do we want to do stylistically rather than what's the latest thing we can push, what what boundary can we push? So that was indeed, quite a nice change in the industry. Yeah, it is, and I think uh, one of the most famous games, um, Super Hexagon. I mean, mm-hmm. look at it. Yes, it's just it's still one of my favourites, even though <laughs> I'm terrible at it. Um, I could barely get to a minute, and that's pretty good going. And mm-hmm. uh, for me to hear the woman say "square," like "yes," is. <laughs> <laughs> but the point being, that's a really simplistic visualization. It's just mm-hmm. well, it's a hexagon that's rotating. That's it. Not much to else than just that interacting with music. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Mm. To the point yeah. where uh, I'm not sure if where this, but. There is a Commodore 64 version of that game. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. I yeah. That one. Yep. So, by all means, have a look and you can get it mm-hmm. on an emulator. Uh, I still have several Commodore 64s knocking around that still work. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, I've actually managed to run it on that machine. It's like, it's, a, it's way easier because it's slightly slower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's still. Yes, yeah. Commodore 64 was my computer, uh, first computer back in the day as well. So, yeah. 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 Do 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 have a go if you're curious. It's. Uh, yep. I mean, it's the super hexagon. It won't take a few minutes of your time. Uh, yep. But uh, the point being, the experience, experience is still there. The the environment, you know, it's the it's and because it's the scale back. It's like, okay. I've got this vast canvas. That's lovely. I'm just going to focus on this little tiny square. <laughs> Mm, yeah, and no, I think make I think it's um, amazing. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. I think the industry has the ability now to choose to focus on um, a stylist, stylistic choice as opposed to just chasing the greatest, most most high performance thing. But also, I think with the, the sort of explosion of indie developers as well, that people are kind of forced to choose a niche and focus on that rather than 
just chasing the most hyper-realistic thing possible. Yeah. Um, just because you don't, you can't afford to um, spend, you know, compete with the, the multi-tens of million dollar budgets that the AAA game developers have. So you have to compete on something else. You have to choose a, a, a narrow niche and, and do well at that. So, last question. I know. All good things must come to an end, but uh, <laughs> there it is. And uh, you mentioned stylistic choice, and I'm going to ask you this one. And um, I speak of this as a British person. Mm-hmm. Um, the humour yep. in Gaul Britannia is dry, it's a very dry thing that's dry. Um, <laughs> it's, the uh, delivery is, you know, and also it's riddled. The game is riddled with very key, very British social references, which maybe mm-hmm. even you struggled with. I don't know, but um, I say even you. There's lots of commonality between uh, Australia and, and, and the UK. For historical yep. reasons, um, mm-hmm. yes. and one of the yep. things we share is our humour and obsession mm-hmm. with self-depreciation. Yeah, uh, it's just you know, it's it's difficult to fathom, but uh, that's what we do, isn't it? First thing mm-hmm. we do is, I'm, a, oh, so I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, I think I think we are. Yeah, like we've got the, the whole rest of our team is in Australia, other than Jonathan, our writer in the UK. But I think we do have a, quite a similar, you know, personalities and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it works. It yeah. does work, and uh, it's something I've, I've uh, great affinity to. to uh, most Australians I encounter, it's this, mm-hmm. this, this dry and and New Zealanders and stuff. It's just that 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 dry, really. It's just oh boy, <laughs> and I'm just the reason I'm going oh boy and sort of sighing like this is that. Do you think this will be a barrier to some? Um, and if so, what kind of feedback, if if any, have you got with, from people who are not familiar with this type of delivery? Because it's it's refreshing to see mm-hmm. a lot of the games don't have this. You know, a lot of, yeah. a lot of games, but uh, you'd be surprised that a lot of games do. For example, we all know that Grand Theft Auto is a satire mm-hmm. uh, made by people who are not living in that culture. And yep. you are, you know, looking at it, and that's why uh, a lot of jokes that are made in it are missed by some. Like, actually, let's see what mm-hmm. they've done there. It's just, it's just, it's just objective sort of uh, laughing at what they see, at what they see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas yeah. with Gulbatani, you thankfully, I say thankfully because you're not making GTA. Yeah, that's not your theme. That's not your thing. You've not laughed at the situation because it's not a lot to laugh at. Um, but you're, you laugh at the people and the, 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 the crass stupidity of some whilst also celebrating and applauding those who are selflessly and doing acts of selflessness um, and uh, that kind of thing. And sort of a, mm. that's, that's, that's the dichotomy I'll get. Not dichotomy, that's the contrast. That's better. Yeah, the contrast yeah. that you get here. At one hand, you get this really obnoxious people who somehow have survived this horror Mm-hmm. so far and <laughs> then they get yeah. the others who are you know are actually acting uh, heroically with the with the some typically through accident rather than design so mm-hmm. what have you done to to make sure that um you don't create a barrier to those that aren't familiar with this way of being yeah i mean i think um it, uh, i think it's it's important to have a style and a niche and not be too worried about uh, appealing to everybody. I think if you try to appeal to everybody, then you just become bland and boring and uninteresting. So I think, I think we have picked something that appeals quite strongly to the people it appeals to, which is good. But there are people who just it's just not their cup of tea, and I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's that's really what you want from any kind of media. You want things that some people like and some people don't like. Um, so I'm not too worried about sort of alienating part of the potential audience because I think if we if we watered it down or made it suit more people, it just wouldn't be as fun for the people who do like it. Um, and I yeah I don't have a problem with making a game that is sort of uh, super focused on a particular niche or a particular audience that would like this kind of thing. No, the reason being, and I always cite uh, uh, a selection of games that happened about ten, twelve years ago now. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, there is uh, Papers Please and Stanley Parable and stuff like this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are games that couldn't really exist or be considered a, a remote, tiny success uh, twenty years ago, maybe twenty five, mm-hmm. because the audience wasn't there. Yeah, yep. Well, the audience wasn't large enough. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, or easy enough to reach, like you. 
buy retail, you know, in a, if you put a few hundred boxes of a thing on a retail shelf and have some more in the in the warehouse out the back, you know, yeah. you need to find those kind of people need to be quite, you know, all over the place. Um, whereas with, you know, now that there's digital distribution, all that kind of thing, it's something hyper-focused, you can find, you know, sufficient number of people around the world because it's easy for them, easy to reach them, those specific people. Whereas it just doesn't work for the, you know, 20 years ago retail model. No, it didn't, because the effort, mm. the effort yeah. was, was greater than the reward, and that doesn't mm. work. That's not no. viable. Uh, so that's why you had to do certain things and change certain things to make it more palatable. Whereas now, mm. you can go ahead and make a game that doesn't actually have any real, you know, challenge to it. For example, Gone Home. Mm. Again, that's the classic, you know you know walking simulator which gets implications that oh there's a bit of horror here no no, there isn't no there's there's no you're just in you're just in an empty house (laughs) get Mm -hmm. over it it's oh but no seriously (laughs) it's just but there's like no seriously there isn't but if it no (laughs) let go yeah and if you again if you pitch that to someone you pitched that to someone 20 years ago. You just, what, do you do, what do you do in the game? Just walk around picking stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anything else? No, that's it. No, <laughs> get out. Just get out. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's, really, it's really great that these days this kind of, you know, all sorts of games and I uh, can sort of uh, appeal to people, appeal to very specific niche of people and be successful and, and yeah, create a wide variety of entertainment that suits all sorts of people. Yep. Yep. And that was and the thing we saw at um, at PAX East. You know, we had our booth, and it was quite. It was on sort of a sort of main strip. Lots of people would stream it past. It was not not yeah. their cup of tea at all. And it's a little bit disheartening to see all these people walk past. But for the people who did stop and look, and you chat to them and explain it to them, you know, they found the uh, the concept hilarious, and they had a play, and they loved it. So, yeah, it is it is a super sort of focused, really niche game. But for the people who are into it, they, they do seem to like it, including myself. I'm happy to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. um, so, because uh, yes, um, I mean, I got a, an invite to come see you, so I did. Mm-hmm. So I actually yep. sought you out, so there you go, yep. and that worked. Um, and here we are now chatting about uh, its its uh, its release, uh, at least in part, because uh, mm-hmm. we talked about that. So, Gaul Britannia, land of hope and gory, it's great, great. Uh, the fact is, it's like it's a land. It's it's lovely pun because mm-hmm. these are two people you're controlling everyone yes mm-hmm. it's, 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 yeah um hope, hope and dave uh the lovely pair and uh and it's by binary space mm-hmm. um, yep. and the name where that come from interesting binary space yeah yeah so back when jay and i started working on stuff together back in 2009 we started throwing around ideas and um, Jay suggested Binary Space after us throwing around a whole bunch of ideas that none of us really liked much. And so, yeah, we just, yeah, one, when that one came out, I think um, at first I was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't know, but then sort of grew on me after a while. And so we thought, yep, let's go with that. We haven't, haven't come up with a better idea. So, yeah, it was just sort of, that's how it came about. So you're crafting space using binary code? Mm-hmm, yes, Ultimately. exactly, yeah. Because mm-hmm. one of the things, uh, take a drink, everyone. Here we go. Ready? I say it that computers are still, at the moment, a uh, series of switches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when you, I know you understand as the programmer, so, but ultimately yep. that's what you're doing. I mean, you, a mm-hmm. high level language, it's, it's, you know, a, a clutch of Slightly switches. Slightly more complicated. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and over a clutch of switches. Not like assembly mm-hmm. where it generally was or is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that, see that address, memory address over there, yeah. Well, if that's that value, that one over mm-hmm. there has to be that value. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then yes, yeah. So back back in the the old days, I was writing assembly programming for <laughs> yeah. writing memory directly to the to the video. Yeah. Um, memory yeah. and updating. You know, you'd write this to this address, and that would set this pixel on the screen to this color. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was good good times. Was yeah, fun. good times. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's still doing it, but now because of high yeah. level stuff, it, it deals with that. You don't have to worry about mm. it too much. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, and uh, so, so it makes sense that you know that you're using binary tools to make a space. Mm. So, yeah, it mm. makes sense. Yep. So. so, yes, it's out. School of Britannia, Land of Hope and Gory is out in early access. First four episodes are out now, as of the 9th of October, I believe it came out. Yep. So mm. very soon, very recent. Uh, at the time of recording, 
Uh, it's on Windows PC and Mac. So, um, Saxon's been fantastic having you on. Yeah, it's been good to chat to you. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about whatever future project you have lined up uh, after the the full release of Lead Hope and Glory. So, in the meantime, we wish the very very best of luck with it. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on. Cool. Thanks. It's good to talk. <laughs>